turn to God's Word now as we look at Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, we'll be reading verses 1 through 11. This is a prophecy about God coming to His people and giving them comfort and salvation. Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him, and His recompense before Him. He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Amen. Let's pray as we come before God to to hear from him in his word. Lord, it's really good to be able to sing your praises. It really does remind us of how great a master and a savior and a God we have as we can sing of the wonderful things that you have done for us. And Lord, now as we look in your word to see who you are and to be reminded and to be taught about what you have done, we pray that you would do that in our hearts to not just give us understanding. We pray for that. But even more than that, that we would pray for an increase, a fullness of joy as we meet you. We pray, Lord, that you would do this because to spend with you face to face and you're getting us ready now to meet you and to be with you. We pray that you would do this also through your spirit whose power we need and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we're starting a new sermon series, starting a new sermon series in the book of Mark. Before we actually look at our, our passage this morning, I thought I'd give a a brief overview of what we're going to do in Mark. Um, Decided to come up with a title for this sermon series. It kind of clarified my mind. I hope it's helpful for you. The Gospel of Mark, this sermon series is, is called Meeting Jesus. And part of what I love about Mark is that we are brought face to face with Jesus. Maybe even more than in the other Gospels. We see Jesus. And the big question that Mark asks and answers in his book is, who is Jesus? 
That's the one driving question in his book. And there, as you look through the book, there are a lot of different reactions to Jesus. Some people just don't understand who he is. Right? They may see his miracles, they see his, his teaching, but they don't actually understand who Jesus is. Actually, a lot of those people are actually Jesus' own disciples. As we look through the gospel, many of the people who spent the most time with him did not know who he was. But Mark is clear from the very beginning of the gospel who Jesus is. He is the promised Savior and the Son of God. And Mark helps us throughout the entire book to understand what that means. He helps us to know what it means for Jesus to be the Savior and the Son of God, especially through Jesus' work, through his miracles, through his teaching, and ultimately through his death and resurrection. So we're going to start this morning with Mark's introduction to Jesus. We'll be reading Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. That's Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Listen to these words. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying... After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So look at this passage together this morning. The main point that we'll see is that God prepares his people to receive Jesus and his salvation. And God prepares his people to receive Jesus and the salvation that Jesus himself brings. Now we'll see that preparation this morning in four points. I know in your bulletin it says three. I added another one. Four points. We'll see the good news of Jesus in verse one. We'll see the good news prophesied in verses two to three. The good news pictured in verses four to eight. And the good news proclaimed also in verses four to eight. Let's start with the good news of Jesus. Look at verse 1. Mark is very direct in how he opens this book, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He gets right to the point. He tells us what this is going to be about. The gospel means good news. So this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ. Now we'll see in the rest of Mark, Actually, throughout Scripture, that the gospel, the good news is that God sent His Son, Jesus, to bring salvation. It's just a very helpful summary of the gospel. God sent His Son, Jesus, to bring salvation. And Mark's opening sentence here shows us that this good news of what Jesus does is good news because of who Jesus is. Notice that verse 1 focuses on Jesus' identity. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's Jesus' name. His name has three parts. There's Jesus, there's Christ, 
And there's the Son of God. And each one is very important for knowing who Jesus is. First, he's Jesus. It's the name given to him by his parents, actually through the angel. And it it emphasizes his humanity. He's a real person. It also points us to his work because he is named Jesus because he will save his people from his sins. But Mark also says he is the Christ. Look in the Old Testament. The Christ is the promised Savior. This is the one that that God has been promising will come to save his people. So he's a real man. He's also the Savior, the promised Savior. And Mark says he is the Son of God. Now for Mark, the Son of God, that title is very, very important. Jesus is not just a human Savior. Even the promised Savior Right? He is God himself, and because he is God, he, is, he comes with the authority and the power of God to teach, to heal, and most importantly, to save. We'll see this name, Son of God, actually appear throughout the book of Mark. For instance, the demons recognize that Jesus is the Son of God. You see that when he casts them out, they know who he is. But people seem to miss this point. It's actually only at the very end of the book when Jesus dies on the cross that a person finally sees and believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So that means that you and I reading this book already have a better understanding of who Jesus is from just reading verse 1 than most of the people we're going to meet. And Mark does this on purpose. He kind of gives us, in this opening verse, really the key to the entire Gospel of Mark. All the teaching and all the miracles and all the work of Jesus shows us what Jesus' identity means. Think about what it means already. You can see how Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that is good news. It is because Jesus is both God and man, and He is the promised Savior. All that together means He is exactly who each one of us needs to save us from our sin. And Mark says this is just the beginning, right? This is the beginning of the good news about Jesus. Mark actually calls this whole first section, the beginning, verses 1 through 15, or one kind of introduction to Jesus and his work. And when you look at the, these next few verses, you, you see that Mark doesn't begin where you might expect, like where Matthew does or with Luke, you know, with the birth of Jesus. He doesn't begin there. He actually starts with the ministry of John the Baptist, And that shows us from Mark that the the ministry of of John the Baptist comes at the very beginning of the good news about Jesus because John is the first one to really publicly proclaim who Jesus is. He's the first real messenger who comes onto the scene. John is God's messenger and his role is to prepare the way for Jesus' public ministry. Who Jesus is and what what he does are about to take the center stage of world history when John walks into the desert. But we're going to see that actually the good news about Jesus goes even further back. It goes deep into the Old Testament. We're going to see the good news prophesied in verses 2 to 3. Because Mark shows that that John's ministry, John's ministry of proclaiming Jesus, fulfills God's promises in the Old Testament. Notice what he says here in verses 2 to 3. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. 
And Mark is telling us John is this promised messenger preparing the way for the coming of the Lord, preparing the way for the coming of Jesus. Now Mark actually combines two prophecies here. Verse 2 is from Malachi 3.1, and verse 3 is from Isaiah 40. We actually read from Isaiah 40 earlier in the service. I don't know if you heard these words, so we read them here. But if, if you look at both of those prophecies, both in Malachi and in Isaiah, the emphasis in both cases is on God coming to his people. And he comes in power. But he also comes to do do to do two different things. You see, in both those cases, he comes to judge and he also comes to comfort. So Mark is already pointing us forward to the coming of the Lord and what Jesus himself is supposed to be doing as the Lord meeting with his people to come in power to judge and to comfort. But God being with his people, God coming to his people, that is actually the great hope of the Old Testament. Uh, God, you think about the, the, whole, the whole stretch of, of Old Testament history. What was happening? Remember, God is working to, to choose a people for himself, right? Through Adam and the patriarchs and Abraham. And then now the people of Israel, he chose to save them from Egypt And then he chose to dwell with them. He was present with them. Think about the tabernacle, the temple, the blessing of God's presence with his people. That was great. But the Old Testament is always looking forward. It's always looking forward to a day when God will dwell with his people in a new and permanent way. And that's what these two prophecies quoted by Mark, and actually many other prophecies are about. They're about God finally, in a new and permanent and powerful way, dwelling with his people. Sometimes in the Old Testament, this coming day when God will dwell with his people is described like a new exodus. It's like God bringing us out of the world again to be with us, where God is rescuing us, where he meets us in the wilderness of the world, in the wilderness of sin, and he brings us into the promised land where we'll we'll get to be with him forever. That theme of the exodus, of being in the wilderness, for instance, that's a very important theme in Isaiah. Starting in Isaiah 40, going all the way to the end of the book, you see that promise of a new exodus. Mark picks up on that same idea, that same hope that God will come and bring his people out to be with himself. You notice it here. When Mark quotes Isaiah, he chooses the verse about a voice calling in the wilderness. And then we meet John, that voice, who is standing in the wilderness. And actually, in the next section, we'll see Jesus beginning his ministry where? In the wilderness. Mark shows us that Jesus is coming. He is prophesied to come to begin in people to call them to himself. The wilderness here is a place of hope, a place of new beginnings, the first step in God's plan of saving a people and bringing them back to himself. So really, when we see these opening verses, this prophecy, we see a prophecy about John the Baptist's unique role of preparing God's people to meet God. And we see the even greater reality that Jesus, as the Son of God, is coming to save his people, to live with them in a new and more permanent way. But what's important about John? Have you ever thought about why God bothered to send John the Baptist 
How did God use John to prepare the people to meet Jesus? Well, we see two aspects of John's ministry in verses 4 to 8. The first thing we see in John's ministry is really our third point, that he pictures the good news. It's the good news pictured. Part of what Jesus was, or what John was meant to do was to show the people about their need for salvation in Christ. That was a large part of his ministry. The big question of the Bible is how sinful people can live with a holy God. That has been Genesis 3 on. How in the world can we in our sin ever hope to live with God who is holy? And the answer every single time in the Bible is that God must save us. He must take away our sin. John taught the people that. John taught the people about their need for God's salvation, and he did it through the picture of baptism. Now, that's, that's what we know John for, right? We know him as John the Baptist, or more directly, maybe John the Baptizer. Baptism was a central key part of his ministry. Look at verses 4 to 5. This is how he's introduced. John appeared. What was he doing? Baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming, notice his message, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were coming out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John's baptism pictured repentance for sin and God's forgiveness of sins. Being baptized by John, all these people who came out to him, when they were baptized by John, not like that alone took away their sins. Pouring a little water on yourself did not take away their sins. But it was a picture for them. It was pointing them to God's forgiveness of their sins. Being washed with water was a picture of our sins being washed away, being forgiven by God himself. Yeah, that's, that's actually true in New Testament baptism as well. The baptism that Jesus commands us to have as well. We would say the same thing, that baptism today, when you see a baby or an adult getting baptized, that doesn't take away their sins. That water does not wash away their sins, no. But baptism today is a sign and seal of God's covenant of grace. And one of the things that baptism represents then is forgiveness of our sins. The water sprinkled on that person shows gospel promise that the sins of God's people are completely washed away by the blood of Christ. Hebrews says that we are sprinkled with his blood. Now, baptism is a, is a picture and a promise of many more realities, of all the benefits of our salvation in Christ. But the basic similarities we see here between John's baptism and Jesus' baptism is that they both point to the one truth that God alone forgives our sins. Now you can see that John himself did not teach that the act of baptism was enough for salvation. Notice that John ties baptism directly to the people's repentance. He calls it a baptism of repentance. And notice what happens. The people were baptized and what were they doing? They were confessing their sins right there. See, the people were meant to actually repent, to turn from their sin and turn back to God with a sure promise that God would forgive. So John's ministry really centered on showing people their need for salvation, their need for the forgiveness of God, and their need to repent of their sins. And he showed them that the only way this salvation is going to come is going to come through God. 
It's going to come through God's free forgiveness in Christ. But, God, but John did a whole lot more than just give them pictures. He also preached to them. The good news was also proclaimed. We see a small part, just a small part really, of his preaching ministry in verses 7 to 8. And listen to these words. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You know, Mark's, in Mark's account, John's preaching is focused solely on Christ. John is proclaiming the good news about Jesus and really the good news about the greatness of Jesus and the greatness of Jesus' work. In verse 7, John describes the greatness of Jesus, right? He says he is mightier than John. Now, we we all know that because we've seen the rest of the, the gospel, right? We've seen the rest of what Jesus has done. But for the people of John's day, that would have been quite a statement for John to say that someone who you've never met and I've never seen is greater than I am. And you can see why this statement would be so surprising if you look at verse 6. It may sound a little strange to you, but listen carefully. John was clothed with camel's hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. Why does Mark say that? Mark says that because he is making clear that John is a prophet. John is one of God's chosen servants to bring his word to his people. And John is not just... A run-of-the-mill prophet? No. The details in this verse point us back to Elijah. Elijah wore similar clothing to this. We find Elijah in the wilderness. So John is being shown to be a great prophet. And even like the greatest prophet, Elijah. In fact, if you read more of the prophecy of Malachi, you see that God promises to send Elijah again before he comes, before the great and awesome day of the Lord. So anyone who who saw John, saw what he was dressed like and heard what he was saying would know he is not just another prophet. No, this is the new Elijah. He is the greatest prophet any of us in the Old Testament have ever seen. Jesus actually says that. Right in Matthew 11, he says, John the Baptist was the greatest of all those born of a woman. The greatest, absolute greatest of God's servants. But John recognizes for all that, for all that he is, he's just a messenger. As great a prophet as he is, Jesus is infinitely greater. Jesus is infinitely mightier than he is. Now John kind of drives that point home by teaching the people about the difference, and he does it by using a picture from daily life in his time. He says, Jesus is the one, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. You know, John's day, in Jesus' day, slaves did that work. Slaves did the work of kneeling down and undoing the dirty sandals on dirty, stinking feet of their masters. John says, the difference between me and Jesus is, is so much bigger than the difference between a master and a slave. That difference, that distance is so great that even though I'm the greatest prophet that God has ever sent, the greatest of God's servants, I'm not even worthy to do the lowest, dirtiest job in serving Jesus. That is how great Jesus is. 
John's point is not to make people look at himself, though. He wants them to look at Jesus. This coming one must be extraordinary. Who is someone who is much greater, so much greater than the greatest prophet ever? There's only one answer. It's God. It's God himself. That's where John is pointing the people. The mighty one who is coming is the mighty one of Israel. He is God himself. And the good news then is that God is coming to his people. That's what John means when he says, this one is mightier than I. But John tells us more. He proclaims more about the good news of Jesus in verse 8. And he focuses here on the greatness of Jesus' work of salvation. John says, look at me. I have baptized you with water, but that's it. But this one who is coming, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John's baptism, remember, it's just a picture. It's a picture of salvation. And what John could only picture, Jesus will accomplish. You can see the contrast that John draws. Again, I can only wash your body with water. But Jesus, this coming one, he's going to cleanse you, body and soul, with the Holy Spirit. And when John says that, you can see the greatness of Jesus' work of salvation. He is able to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. His salvation comes in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, who is God himself, the third person of the Trinity. This is who Jesus uses to save you. That's the promise of John. Because Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to actually apply his salvation into the lives of every one of his people. To give us the new hearts that we need, new natures. To justify us by proclaiming us righteous in the sight of God. And then to actually make us holy over time. That is what the Holy Spirit means to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. To be saved in the fullness of Jesus' salvation. Jesus is able to do these things. He is able to give you the Holy Spirit that you need for your salvation because he is God. The Old Testament is so clear that God alone is the one who sends his spirit. Joel 2.28, actually a prophecy of Pentecost. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Jesus, by sending the Holy Spirit to save us, is being shown to be God himself. When John the Baptist says that, he knows who is coming. He knows that Jesus is God. So really the good news then that John proclaims is that Jesus is God himself. And Jesus is coming to his people and Jesus is bringing salvation for them. What a beginning to the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, all the way through the book of Mark, we'll see this good news in action. Look forward to this. We'll see that authority and power of Jesus because he is God. And we'll see him come to his people and have his people just reject him or misunderstand him. And we'll see Jesus' patience and love and compassion for his so often spiritually blind people. And we will see Jesus bring salvation for those people in the most unexpected way possible where we will see the son of God die on the cross for our sins and not just die but to be raised in power to save his people this is the good news of Jesus Christ the son of God and this good news 
is life-changing news. Do you know Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Do you know Him? Have you come to Him in faith as the promised Savior, the very Son of God who came to die for sinners just like you and me? There is no other way to be saved than to believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that may sound narrow, but that is actually not narrow at all. That is the way of salvation. And that way of salvation, the provision of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the best possible news for sinners. That God himself, not somebody else, God himself has seen us in our sin. He hasn't left us alone. He has stepped into our world to save us when we couldn't save ourselves. Is that the Jesus Christ, the Son of God that you know and you love and you serve? As you sit here this morning, most of us have heard this good news over and over and over again. We know who Jesus is. We've heard about the greatness of his work, his humility in coming to us, his power and love in rescuing us from slavery to sin. But as you hear that good news again this morning, how does your heart respond? How are you feeling at the end of this passage? Is the gospel just old news to you? Like, yeah, I, I know it's true. I know, I know it's good. I've heard it already. I've got to go do something else. I've got to learn something else. I've got to keep moving. Or is the gospel good news for you right here And right now, news that you can't live without this morning. Because you know your own sin. And you know the danger that that is facing you. And you know how much Jesus has done for you. Is doing for you and actually will do for you all the way through eternity. Is the gospel news that you need right now. I want you to think about that. And as you think about that, I want you to think about the good news. And that good news, that life-transforming news, pray that God would be at work to make you love the good news of Jesus Christ. Pray that God would, would make you praise Him. That in His grace, He gives us great daily joy, eternal joy in the gospel where we can say, taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen, He is. And pray more and more that our hearts would rejoice more and more in the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Those are very important things for us to be praying constantly, day by day, to see and to believe. And even as we see the good news for ourselves, pray for opportunities. Pray for opportunities to encourage one another with the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And pray for opportunities in a heart And a mouth that is willing to share this good news with a dark and dying world. This is not just good news for us in our church right here on Sunday morning. This is good news of salvation for all of God's people all around the world. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is our Savior. He is your Son who gave up that equality with you. He did not see it as something that he needed to hold on to, but he came and he took on a human nature so that he could die for our sins. He is still God all the way through. And oh, we need that. We need him to be God and we need him to be man and we need him to be our Savior. Thank you that you gave us exactly what we need.
need in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Lord, we pray that this would be good news for us. We cannot live for a moment without the work of Jesus Christ for us. Lord, help us to feel our need for Him more and more, to learn to rejoice that You have met our needs in Christ more and more, and Lord, that You would turn our hearts outward, that as we see others who are lost in sin, lost in the darkness of this world, we pray, Lord, that You would give us compassion to share the good news with them as well, that they would be saved. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.